Welcome to the Football Diary podcast. We've got an interesting um, take for you today. We are doing something a little bit different. We're talking about mental health in football. And I've got author Johnny Lowry here with me today, who has just released a book on that exact topic. And Johnny, first of all, welcome to the pod. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us about a topic that I couldn't find much about on the internet, really. And that is kind of the issue, isn't it? There's not enough talk about mental health in football anywhere. So your book is an exploration of that. Um, I'll put a link to it in the description below. But it's also broadly linked to kind of men's mental health generally, isn't it? Because we internalise struggles a lot more. It's a very masculine trait to not talk about how we're feeling. Um, There's a lot of stigma your book digs into and kind of opens up. And for some men, that's uncomfortable to talk about. But for you, you've kind of confronted it head on. So what prompted you to write about something that's quite deep and quite personal? Yeah, so... I struggled with my mental health when I was a teenager without really knowing it. So I'd have periods of feeling down a lot of the time. I'd cry myself to sleep on a Sunday night, wouldn't want to go into school in the morning. I was really struggling with that adjustment from primary school to secondary school. I never really recovered from that. It's continued all the way through my teenage years. And it wasn't until I went to university when I was 19 um, and then getting on 20 for the next year that I really heard the term mental health at all. If you told me I was struggling with my mental health before that, I'd have just been confused. I wouldn't, wouldn't have known what you were on about. Mm. I only really learned about that at university. And I wouldn't have bought a book or read a book about mental health when I was that age. Um, I wouldn't have gone out of my way to learn about it. I didn't know what it was. I was quite mm. comfortable not knowing what it was. I just thought it was normal what I was going through. But I've always been obsessed with football. Um football's always been a massive part of my life and I, I, I read and continue to read plenty of books about football so I thought um, if I can write a book that combines the two people will read it for the football side of things and there's a lot of stuff in Matchfit that I think is really interesting purely for the football side um, without even getting into the mental health mm. but people will, will also learn um, whilst they're reading Matchfit um, and it will combine the two and hopefully just help people learn about themselves. It's it's the sort of book that I hope will will help people like um, the, the teenager I was. But people of all ages, I mean, realistically, there'll be people, um, a lot of adults especially, um, who don't really understand or appreciate their own mental health. Because as a society, we've not really talked about it um, until the last five years. And there's still... Um, a long way to go I mean you said that there's not a lot of talk about mental health and football I, I still think in the whole of society mental health awareness isn't quite there yet um we're, we're getting there yeah um but it's still a long way to go like I say and, and hopefully match fit will help um certainly just uh, even if it's just a few individuals um learn a bit about themselves and that's uh that would be fantastic it's interesting because football is almost like I guess peak masculinity in some ways, isn't it? The environment that players in particular and managers are kind of thrust into. There's no room for showing signs of weakness or displaying traits that aren't considered masculine. So to talk about a topic like mental health within football is fascinating because you've spoken to a few sort of ex-pros and ex-managers as well who have had plenty to say about their struggles. And you, the chapters in your book focus on things like football management and the pressures managers face, ex-pros and how retirement affects players, addictions, things like that. It's a world that fans won't know. So what did you learn about the bubble of football and, and how pros and ex-pros and managers especially dealt with it? Was it a, a pretty picture from a mental health point of view? It, it's certainly not been preaching to the converted um, with 
looking at mental health in football because I think you're right it, it is stereotypically a, a very macho environment um, I think it's starting to change was one of the things that I found so younger players today are starting to see um, more priority placed on their own well-being and the, the players of today are the managers of 20 years time right so hopefully mm-hmm. we'll, we'll start to see that change um, uh, another thing that I, I picked up on, which I, I really want to, to come out as a, a main theme in the book, is that the players that um, opened up about their vulnerabilities actually gained a lot of strength from doing so. So you, Marcus Bent, for example, after retirement, he hit his rock bottom um, mm. of, of essentially cocaine addiction through bottling up the way he was feeling from not addressing it. And then in in tackling that, um, receiving support from Sporting Chance, he's been able to get his life back on track. Um, you look at the Deli Alley interview, so not part of the book. It came out after I'd, I'd finished writing the book, but yeah, he got a lot of stick over the years for not fulfilling his potential. Uh, he was called lazy, um, and no one knew what was going on behind the scenes. And it, it's no coincidence that the, the toughest years of his football career were in a period where he was struggling the most with his mental health. And I, I'm pretty confident now that he's um he's he's looking for support he's he's tackling it he he will get back on track on the pitch he's certainly not lost the ability um and that is a recurring theme throughout um the, the players managers supporters whatever they may be when they've looked for mental health support um you know because we all need a, a helping hand from time to time they've been able to improve their own lives. I'm not just talking football performance here, by the way. I mean, you know, yeah. our, our, our personal relationships, you know, how we do at work, whatever it may be. Um, getting that support can be massive for all of us, certainly for myself in the process of writing this book as well. Um, so that's something I want to come out. It's changing the, the perceptions of uh, what strength and weakness are and certainly talking about your mental health, acknowledging your mental health. Uh, it certainly isn't a weakness. Yeah, I think encouraging men to come forward, whatever part of society they're from, is difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to get men to own up to feeling a negative way, because I think we're meant to just get on with it. And you hear phrases like that said a lot about how men and how boys should deal with the way they're feeling. And that's passed down through generations, I think. And there's, you know, endless discussion we could have about the way society teaches boys to behave. But with football in particular, you mentioned having an outlet and someone to talk to and sporting chances is something I've heard a lot of players come out and say it's really saved them in many ways from addiction, from depression. Did you have much of an insight before you spoke to these people and this organization about what places like sporting chance did for footballers? And what did you learn about how that helped people deal with their mental health within the game? Mm, So I certainly didn't know much about sporting chance before um, taking on the writing project. I don't think the support available to footballers is really known about in the mainstream, no. even to the footballers themselves. You know, a lot of the players that I spoke to that have recently retired um, said they got no support at all throughout their playing career. So wow. Marvin Sordell, um, I mean, he spoke publicly about his mental health whilst he was still playing and, and still didn't get any support. Uh, Marcus Crazy. Ben, much like myself, I mean, he said he didn't even know what mental health was until he retired. He confused by the phrase i think chris kirkland said much the same so that these facilities are out there and sporting chances are a more recent thing and it's starting to um, the, the stuff they offer is getting better and better year on year um, and that's why i think within the football world it is so important to, to drive that awareness that the pfa now do workshops where they'll go around clubs and talk about mental health um sporting chance are 
the, the referrals and um, players going to them are, are like tend to go up year on year. Um, the COVID pandemic being the exception, mm. um, so players are now starting to get support. I don't think it's that more players are struggling with their mental health. I think it's just more know that the support is there and are more comfortable accessing it. Um, it's all done anonymously anyway. So the fears about um, clubs judging players, which I, I appreciate players will still have, um, it, it, it can be less of a, um, a worry with um, with services like Sporting Chance. So I think it's great that it's there. Um, and yeah, say if, if the football world can keep publishing that for its players, not just uh, the Premier League, by the way, but um, mm. you know, down in the, the lower leagues as well. Um, then I, I think that'll be be really important. Yeah, a huge outlet for a, a few pros who have been brave enough to kind of say that they've needed that help. And I think that's the first step for anyone who is struggling to be brave enough to speak to somebody. So, Sporting Chance plays a huge part in that, I think. But I think the the climate's changed so much from when, for example, Paul Merson and Tony Adams were coming out about their addictions because we've got social media now and your book kind of does zoom in on that to a degree, doesn't it? And how that impacts players' mental health as well. And I can think about the likes of Deli Ali and they must read social media. Um, I've seen as a Man United fan, Harry Maguire and Phil Jones in the recent years take a lot of stick online and it gets very personal. And managers as well, I think, on the podcast, we tried to defend Steve Bruce as well, who mm. was given so much stick as Newcastle boss. That affected him in so many ways. His family were kind of disgusted, really, at some of the comments that were levelled against him because social media is a, an open avenue for criticism. What did you learn about how that is received from a, a player's and a manager's point of view and, and how they're dealing with it? And, and how can we kind of make that a better environment when it is so open? Yeah, it's a real talking point of today's times, I think. Mm. Um, the, the amount of abuse on social media is crazy. I mean, it's just a non-stop. If you're Steve Bruce, Harry Maguire... The comments you're receiving. I mean, Steve Bruce himself wasn't even on social media. His son, Alex, was getting messages saying, I hope your dad dies of COVID was one, for example. Um, I spoke about Troy Deeney in my book. I mean, he would get messages, not not just one message, but regularly saying things like, I hope your family die. I hope your kids die of cancer. And it, we like to think, um, and it, it's often says, oh, just, just stay off it. Don't look at social media. It's just words online. But if you're reading that, you know, if someone messages me and says that they hope my family died, that's going to affect, it's going to affect anyone, um, yeah. no matter how much money you have, what you do. Um, and it, it can be hard to, to avoid it. I mean, say Steve Bruce, what can he do? He's not even on social media and these comments are still coming back to his family. Mm. The, the social media companies themselves, uh, I think we've seen that they're probably not going to do too much. I mean, the football world and, society in general and the government as well now with the online harms act have, have been fighting the battle on the grounds of racism and homophobia so trying to get the platforms to stamp that out and that's been a really slow progress so if they can't even do that um the the general abuse of comments that are coming through um aren't going to stop anytime soon so i think that there's got to be the understanding from a supporter's perspective that it, it's probably best for top level players to not be on social media uh, we've seen Gary Neville call out players for being uh, non-authentic for having someone else run their social media well personally I, I think that's a bit unfair um, mm. if I was uh, if I was Harry Maguire or any or any player to be honest playing for a, a top six or top Premier League club you could be you, know, you could be Lionel Messi and get abusive comments of people I mean it, no matter how good you are um, you're going to get abuse even if you, you're playing well you're going to get abuse from someone so you can't avoid it um, 
and I, I think yeah certainly uh, from the research I've done and from what people are saying uh, I certainly wouldn't be on social media if I was a top no. level professional it's strange though because football from a fan's perspective and you talk about that as well is so positive for for mental health for male fans going to games as well there's this element of tribalism that's positive and is portrayed as, as quite a negative in society generally you know being part of a community of fans and you know having rivals and chanting against one another can get heated but at the end of the day I think if you're feeling quite lonely outside of football going to a match can suddenly make the loneliest guy feel like he's part of something right so why isn't it making men more comfortable in that surrounding because most men is ironic most men ironically can spark a conversation with any other football fan about anything Hmm. to do with football yet when it comes to talking about themselves and how they're feeling it's an absolute no-go zone how does that tie in? It's such a it's such a contrast, isn't it, of, of of guys being super comfortable with one another, yet also really uncomfortable at the same time. Yeah, I think it comes back to the the stereotype of football being a macho sport, um, and that kind of reflects on the terraces. I mean, you talk about tribalism, um, which has always been seen as a negative thing. It goes back to the, the late sixties and early seventies when you had football hooliganism, and the, it would, all the media would focus on from a supporter's perspective was uh, who was causing the most trouble. I mean, you had a, a league of violence in the nineteen seventies in the Daily Mirror, which um, painted a negative picture of fans, but also encourage those that were misbehaving yeah and those attitudes still um from the general public towards football fans do still exist today um so tribalism is seen as a negative and football fans are seen as a group that have to be macho um, aggressive whatever but there are positive sides to tribalism um or you, you could call it social inclusion, I suppose yeah if we all support the same team, we all feel like we've got a connection or back each other up. I know I've spoken about my mental health um, to to people that I go to, to Sutton games with, the, the team I support. And because we support the same team, and we're it, it's almost like you're brothers, and we, we, we would describe each other as brothers through the, the team we support. And everyone backs each other up. So I think being a football fan can be really beneficial to your mental health if you can get over this um, you know, 1960s, 70s stereotype of football fans being macho. Um, and I think you, most people will be surprised if you if you do speak about your mental health to your mates from football, they will have your back. Uh, yeah. They're the sort of people in, in life that will generally um, be able to back you up on things like that. So again, five, ten years down the line, and hopefully this book helps to, to normalise that sort of conversation. But we, we can really use the community we have through football as a, a massive support group. Well, that's kind of the next and kind of most pertinent question I've got for you. You've you've gone into quite a bit of deep research, really, into how this issue can be overcome, confronted, um, and changed, really, to be something that's, that is more positive to kind of come out and talk. If there's anybody listening to this now, anybody watching us talking about this, we're not flippant about this at all. We're both quite serious about the topic. And I think if you said, like you say, if anybody came to me or came to you, well, if you came to any other football fan and said, look, can I chat to you a second? I've got something going on that I'm, I'm, that's really bothering me. I don't think there's many football fans that would dismiss that. You know, mm. it's, the times have changed, but we're not publicly stating that because of fears of repercussions. How can those fans that are feeling that way, listening to us right now, reach out and sort of feel comfortable doing that? It's a good question. Um, I, I think within the group I've been in 
a, a lot more people in our my social circle of uh, some fans 18 to 25 have felt comfortable talking about their mental health since i have i think probably people will have an idea in their group of who their their closest friends are um the, the people most likely to listen i think taking that first step um it's i suppose it's, it is easier said than done but it, it does really encourage other people and say you'd be surprised i mean everyone has their own battles um everyone has things they're going through you could be the happiest person in the world and yet you know, you're going to have tough days tough weeks uh, everyone goes through it at some point um, so as much as someone might seem like they're, you know, they're, they're Jack the Lad and, you know, they're, they're, they don't have kind of deep feelings. It's all just uh, a front. I mean, we we all do put on that front at times. Yeah. Um, so have the confidence to to speak out. It's a, it's the classic thing they say in school, isn't it? If you ask a question, the chances are 90% of people have the same question. It's the same thing in um, Absolutely. With mental health, I think. It, the, the chances are 90% of people you speak to will be able to relate to what you're saying in some way um so certainly within the football world have that confidence within um the the general world really have that confidence there's Um, a fear really i think because it's like a banter culture attached to football from fans isn't there but mm. in in a weird way football and the fan culture and this tribalism this togetherness if you like is probably the safest space where you could talk about it in some ways especially if you are a match going fan and you sit in the same seat as a season ticket holder you've probably spoken to many of the guys around you that should be the forum for you to sort of air your views in the pub or after the match when you're digesting the, the rights and wrongs of the game. Surely that's that's the most safe space you can do that, right? I think so. It's often with football, it's people you've known more or less your whole life, people that you know you'll stay in touch with because it's easy to do so. You don't have to to work hard to organise meeting up with the, you know, the people you sit next to if you've got a season ticket next to them and you just you just see them every week. Um, I, I, I don't think that talking about your mental health detracts from the banter culture as well. I mean, I'm still the same person I always have been since I've spoken about my mental health. I still have a joke, have a laugh. I'm not always talking about you know, the, the times I'm feeling down. It's just a conversation I might have from time to time if I'm feeling like, like I have the need to, essentially. So the, the other thing I'd emphasize is that talking about your mental health doesn't it doesn't lower the tone of the conversation. It doesn't take away from what you are. Um, the, the banter atmosphere of football and the, the fun that the fun we've had on some away days, for example, will always be there will never go away. Yeah, um, it, it's just a, an extra really talking about your mental health. So it's, it's not something that makes you any less of a, of a lad, really. Johnny, really appreciate you talking so candidly about your struggles and also your book. Again, like you said, if one person can listen to us and can go and read your book and find something that really helps them to discuss how they're feeling, then that's a positive and that's a win for you, isn't it? For all the hours you've put into making this this book, I think this is the goal, isn't it? To get guys talking. So Absolutely, yeah. Really appreciate that. Where can people get your book, Match Fit? Where's the best place to go? Yeah, so um, it's available on Amazon and Waterstones. Um, most online retailers, really. I think Smiths have got it in as well. But Amazon's probably the easiest place to find it. Um, they've they've got a few copies reduced on there already somehow. I don't know how they've managed to do that, but there we go. So you can pick it up for less than the, uh, the retail price, which is, yeah, a little bit of a win. Um, so, yeah, Amazon, if you search my name, Johnny Lowry, or the book Match Fit, um, you will find it on there. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time and best of luck, mate. Cheers. Thank you very much, Mike. 